It's always good to be with you, and I was studying uh, step three yesterday, and, and the step is this. We, we made a decision to turn our wills and our lives over to the care of God. Now, now I want to remind you the, the other steps, that the first two steps is this. One, we admitted that we are powerless over our problems and that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, we said the Lord Jesus, can and could restore us to sanity. And the third one that we're going to talk about today is step three. We made a decision to turn our wills and our lives over to the care of God. And uh, I want to use a passage of scripture from Exodus. And as I was studying the study book and, and, uh, and reading through some of the devotionals, I, I said, you know, I, I feel that this passage, though it's not listed here in the book, might be even better. Because, because there has to come a point, once you realize my life is a mess and whatever I've been trusting in is not working. And, and two, that there is a God. There is a God who can restore my life, who can, can bring order out of chaos, right? And, and, and as I said yesterday, it's found in Jesus, the one who has power over everything. But, but then there has to be, after you, after you realize life is a mess, there's a God that can clean up this mess. Now you have to trust him, put your trust in him. And, and the, today's step is, a, is about trusting the God that is able to restore sanity and redeem our lives. And, and the passage that I want to use, it comes from Exodus, and it comes from uh, chapter 14. It's a great historical account. You know the account, even if you're not a churchgoer. You, you know the story. You probably watched it on TV. And it's the story of Moses and the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And we know that Egypt had been in the, uh, in, or I mean Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years. And at first it was a, a collaboration that was taking place where they were welcome to stay there because Joseph, who had uh, the wisdom uh, from God to interpret a dream of, of Pharaoh at the time 400 years before, um, was able to say there's going to be a famine in the land. There's going to be seven good years and seven bad years. And so Pharaoh made him number two man in the kingdom there. And, and so for seven years they built up the stockhouse and the barns. And then for seven years, there was this drought and famine and, and it became depleted. And so Joseph and the Israelites and his family, his family was brought there. And, and, and so it was a good relationship. But over time, as they multiplied more and more and more, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions eventually, um, they, the, they were put into slavery by the Egyptians. And, and there was a, a moment when Moses was out shepherding sheep because he had run away from Pharaoh's household because he was the adopted son in Pharaoh's 
household. And he ran away because he had killed an Egyptian that was harming an, an Israelite. And he ran away and he was shepherding. And, and he was out there for 40 years shepherding. And then all of a sudden there was a burning bush and, and the Lord spoke to him in the burning bush. There was the, the fire of God and said, Moses, I'm sending you back over there and I want you to deliver those people. And, and so Moses then, of course, uh, ten plagues come, the last plague being the Passover when there, there was the angel of death that passed over all of the households in Egypt. And as long as the Israelites had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, they were protected from that plague. And it was protecting, it wasn't just a plague, it was the wrath of God. They were protected by the blood of the lamb from the wrath of God. And, and, so, and so now, now uh, Pharaoh says, get out, everybody. I want you out of here. And so he releases them, and they're allowed to go. And so they leave. But Pharaoh has a change of heart once they leave. And this is where we pick up the story in chapter 14 of Exodus. And it says this, as Pharaoh approached the Israelites... As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. He's with an, an entire army. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They, meaning the Israelites, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So now, all of a the sudden, these Israelites are having second thoughts because they have left the bondage, they have left Egypt, they have left the place where they were trapped, where they were in, if you want to call it, the, the addiction, they were held there captive. They have left there now. And, and they're saying, oh, we didn't want to leave there because there's a big water, right? It's the, it's the Red Sea that's in front of them, and, and, they, and they can't cross the Red Sea. So the Red Sea is in front of them, and you know who's behind them, don't you? Pharaoh and his army. And they're saying, why? We didn't even want to leave. Why? We just want to take you back to the scene at the burning bush, and what God says in the, at the burning bush, and it's in verse 7 of chapter 3, and you don't have to turn there, but let me just read it. And it said this, he said this to Moses when Moses finally was there and God had his attention. He said, it says in verse 7 of chapter 3, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of people in Egypt. So he saw the misery, right, of of these, of, of my people, he says, my people in Egypt. And then listen to what the Lord says here, which is in contradiction of what the people are saying when they're in the middle of the Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh and his army and the Red Sea. And, and, and this, is, this is, the Lord is saying, this is what has happened. He says, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. 
So they're saying, oh, we didn't want to leave. And, and what the scriptures are telling us is that they were crying out and God heard it. And so God was now delivering them and they were standing between the Egyptians and the Red Sea because they hated the bondage. They no longer wanted to live in the bondage because they were suffering in the bondage and many people were dying in the bondage. It kind of sounds like the cry of a person that is wrapped up in bondage and addiction, whatever that might be. Anything that's life-controlling, that's out of control for you now, that, that, that there is a bondage. And, and the truth is, there are things that have been in our lives at different times, whether you're a Christian and, 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 and loving the Lord with all your heart or not. There are moments in life when we are addicted to different things, and we hate them, and yet we can't get free from them. And, and so we cry out. And so they cried out, and we cry out. And we want to come out of Egypt, but, but as we come out of Egypt, we see a red sea in front of us. And this is what, what happens here in this passage of Scripture. So I want you to know, as you're, as you're stepping out, you're going to surrender your life. I want you to know that it's not as if there's not going to be a red sea in front of you, because there probably is going to be a red sea. And, and so as we continue to read the scripture, the Bible says this, right? It says, it says um, in verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. In other words, you need to trust that the Lord who has brought you to this place has helped you to make the decision to leave and to follow Moses and all of the others to this place that is between the Egyptians and the Red Sea, a rock and a hard place. You need to see that God who brought you out here is going to deliver you. And, and I'm telling you, as soon as you see the Red Sea, and as soon as you see the, the Egyptian, the enemy behind you, you're going to want to actually just go back into Egypt, back into the addiction. That's why so many people find it so difficult to come out of addiction. And, and, so, and so what this here scripture is teaching us is that the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And it was then that the Lord said, listen, Moses, raise your staff. And so so Moses raised his staff up. And and the angel of God that was out in front of them, that was leading them, was now behind them, protecting them from the Egyptians. And all night long, God is causing a wind to blow, and the Red Sea is parting. And, and it's parting, and there's a wall of water on one side, and there's a wall of water on the other side. And, and then all the, Moses leads them, and the people begin to walk on dry ground. And at the same time, guess what God is doing? God is reeking, reaping, wreaking havoc in the Egyptians' 
camp and the wheels of the chariots are falling off and the soldiers are wearing weak and they realize this is God, right? And it tells us in verse 23 of chapter 14, it's of Exodus, it says, and the Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea and during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and a cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for for them against Egypt. I want you to know something. I, I know that that we look at this and we say, well, this is a historical account and God is fighting for his people. But I know that we are his people through Jesus Christ. We've been grafted in if you're not Jewish. And and if you are, you've come, you might have come to know the Messiah who came for the Jewish people. We are his people. We're the children of God. And so the same God that fought for his children back then is the same God that's going to fight for us today. And you need to know as you face that Red Sea and you see the enemy pursuing you, you need to know that there's a God who is fighting for you. And you need to know that the Lord is the one who is going to win the battle even though it looks like all is going to be lost. Your emotions are, are wearing on you. Thoughts of, uh, that you are not going to, to make it and all of the, the stress and issues and, and things that we think about. We think about broken relationships. We think about all of the chaos that we might have caused with our addictive life and the hurt that we have caused. Is it really worth it? Is it? Are we significant? Are we worth even coming out? Do people even care if we come out? You think of all the bills and you think of the bills that have been piled up that you haven't been thinking about because you've been really concerned about your addiction. That's all that's really mattered. And, and, and what the Lord says to you, just as he said it there, he's, he's fighting. He's fighting, and, and that's why we can begin to say, Lord, I want to turn my trust over to you. And then it says in verse 26, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots, horsemen, and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. He's a big God. There's not an enemy that's pursuing you that God cannot defeat. There's not a temptation that comes your way that God is not bigger than and can give you the strength to go forward. In verse 29, it says, But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared 
the Lord and put their, look what it says. It says they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is verse 31. It says they put their trust in him being the Lord. They trusted him. And we'll maybe talk later about how long they trusted him because they trusted him up until something else came up and then they had to trust him again. But they trusted him. And God answered the cries of these people. And, and God fulfilled the mission that he set out for Moses to accomplish. And that was to deliver those people from Egypt. And bring those people into this new land. Now, there's more to the story than just that. But let's stop there right now. And I want you to think about it. They had to trust him. They had to trust him. And in, in trusting him, it didn't mean that there was no enemy. It didn't mean that their circumstances looked good and the path looked pretty easy to follow. No. There was a wall of water in front of them at first. There was an enemy that was behind them pursuing them. But God that day fought for them and brought them to victory. And it says they trusted him. And I need you to hear this today. If you are coming out of Egypt, you need to look at your life that has been lived there and realize that's not the life God has had planned for you. That life of bondage and the chaos that is all around with all of the broken relationships. And, and he is a God that has power that can restore your life. No matter how long you have been living that life, and I can tell you I've been pastoring for 25 years, 20 years in this region of our country where drug addiction is probably the worst of many of the areas in our country. And I've seen many, many people, I saw many people who've been addicted. Some have come out. Others are still in. And others are dead. And it's broken my heart. I can tell you that those that are in the addiction, still staying in Egypt, have a miserable life. But those who have said, I'm going to trust God, they have a new life in Christ. And they have rebuilt, God has restored relationships. And if you are going to come out, you're going to have to trust God. The times that you've tried to escape 
have been times where you might have had trust, but it hasn't been totally given over to God and say, no matter what the consequences and what I have to face, I'm trusting him to take me forward. And that's where I get into some of the, the, the commentary here, because I, I love this commentary here. And one of the things it says in step three of this little workbook is, is this. In step three, we intentionally release our hopes and our dreams and our choices, addiction, compulsions, and relationships, and give God control over all of it. This is a one-time commitment, commitment, and it also it is also the step that opens the door to a lifelong endeavor. We practice it with ever-increasing willingness to trust. To say, the wall is there that I'm facing, and I've faced this wall before, and I've turned back, and I've ran back to my Egypt, my addiction. But this time I'm saying it's going to be different because you're going to say that wall is there. That wall of water is there. The challenges are there. But I'm no longer going to trust in me. And I'm no longer going to try to trust in the, even the people around me. I am going to trust in the Lord. And even though I don't know what the future holds, I'm going to take the hand of the one who holds the future. And I love this few paragraphs here. It says, in approaching the decision directed by step three, we are challenged to trust God on a deeper level than ever before. Trusting God with everything in our lives may be difficult because of our experiences from childhood to the present in which people have repeatedly broken our trust. Life has trained us to be skeptical and weary, to take charge of situations because we don't trust anyone. We may have learned to make life work on our own power because no one around us could be trusted to protect, to help, to nurture us. And as a result, we can make the mistake of generalizing the lack of trust to God, thinking that he expects us to take care of ourselves, at least in some parts of our lives and issues. Confronting our lack of trust in God's care is critical to working the 12 steps in our lives from step four through step 12. To have a successful recovery, we must learn to completely surrender ourselves and our wills. As Jesus said, the one who loses his own life for Jesus' sake will find it. Turning over our addictions and our dependencies is definitely like losing our lives. This is our comfort, entertainment, relief, reward, like a best friend who shares life with us. Letting go of it seems impossible, lonely, scary, and not a lot of fun. And then to let go, turn over my will in all my life? I'll have no life, we cry. But I want you to think about it. When I've talked to different people about addiction, I've said, what kind of life have you had in addiction? You say you, you can't come out of that life and give up that and allow God God's power to move in your life and trust him and let go of that? Because you, ha you have friends back there, you have family back there, you have... but what kind of life have you lived? Because maybe it's all you've ever known. What kind of life is that? 
When I've talked to people about going to Teen Challenge, it's a 15-month program. It's for people that have life-controlling issues. And they said, 15 months? To go 15 months? You mean I've got to leave everything? I've got to, I've got to leave my family and go there and live for 15 months? I say, yeah. They say, I could never do that. What kind of life is that? And, I, and I'm very honest with them. I say to them, well, how long have you been addicted to drugs? How long have you been addicted to heroin? How long have you been trapped by cocaine or methamphetamine? How long have you been trapped by these addictions that have controlled your life? What has it done? Oh, one year? Okay, that's 12 months. Two years? That's 24 months. Three years? That's 36 months. Four years? That's 48 months. Five years? That's 60 months. Right? Six, six years, that's what, 78, 70, 72 months. Just six years. Think about it. 72 months. I can tell you that I know people that have been addicted not for six years, but they've been addicted for 16 years. I know people that have been addicted for 30 years. And I tell them, look at all of the months that you've been addicted, and you're telling me 15 months you can't do it? You're telling me that you're not willing to come out and start a program, or you're not willing to start a recovery Bible study with the church family and with the small groups and a, and a huddle-up group that's meeting? You're not, you're, 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 you don't want to do that? You don't want to do that because you don't have time? You can't spend two hours? You can't go to a meeting, an AA meeting, or you can't, you can't take responsibility and, and, and meet on a Saturday morning with a group and, and deal with the issues that you have because you're, you're too busy. And I said, what kind of life have you had? Think about it. What's holding you back from trusting God? Let me give you a few questions. What's holding you back from trusting God? Is it something that you're in control of? What in my life has taught me not to trust God? I wrote this question out myself. What am I blaming on God that was not his fault, but mine or the choice of other people? What keeps me from surrendering? You can trust God. He's not like a human being. Human beings will let you down. Everybody. The best. The most trustworthy. Faithful. They'll let you down. But I can tell you, God will never let you down. What's holding you back? Or is it going to be scary as you step out? Yeah. But step out. You'll have to trust God with every relationship that you have. It's no longer up to you to make it all work and fix everything. God will guide you and give you his strength and spirit. 
It's no longer up to you. Put your trust in him. And trust him with everything. He will prove himself. You will face a wall of water. You will want to run back, and many do. Unfortunately, I do a lot of those funerals for them. And it breaks my heart. And I say this with a heart filled with passion and compassion that if you'll step out and trust him and embrace the fears and embrace that you're no longer in control but you're giving him control and you take that even to bed with you, I'm telling you, you will make, wake up in the morning and one day at a time, one step at a time, God will lead you And before long, you'll see that wall of water either split open so you can walk across on dry ground or dried up to the place where you can walk across to get to the other side and be free. And it'll be normal that you will feel fear, a little anxiety in trusting him. But each day as you trust him, your faith will grow stronger and your confidence in him will grow stronger that he's there. And each day you'll realize that the voices that you hear from that Egyptian direction, they can't harm you. It's like a dog on a chain. It's growling, growling, growling. It can't get to you. Trust him. Give him your life. You can trust him. Turn your life over today. And I don't mean come and know Jesus today. You might already know Jesus today. But I mean start trusting him with your life.